1: Welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. I am Tom Reed joined as always by Dave Molinari. And a little bit later, we will be joined by national league hockey writer, uh, Scott Burnside who right now is working for the daily Uh, he's going to be along to talk about the big news this week and it's coming out of Pittsburgh, Dave, and it's a, a major story. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, could possibly, in the next couple of days, uh, be purchased by the Fenway Sports Group. Uh, our own Dejan Kovacevic, Kovacevic, I should know my owner's name, last name, uh, uh, has reported that the deal uh, is believed to be in the, in the neighborhood of $900 million. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of details are very scarce right now, but it does sound as if Mario Lemieux will continue on. Uh, at least as a minority owner to have some continuity there. Uh, It appears right now that the major management and coaching uh, staff, there's not going to be any shakeups. So there's going to be some continuity, but Dave there, this is a massive change coming to the Penguins team that is used to being run by one or two owners, uh, kind of a mom and pop operation from its outset. And uh, this is going to be a lot different. Uh, Fenway sports group, is a major, major player in the sports uh, properties world. Uh, for fans that don't know, they own the Red Sox. They own a Liverpool FC. Uh, they own uh, a racing team, the Roush Racing Team in NASCAR. They own one of the best and biggest uh, regional sports networks in Nessen in Boston. Uh, so this is uh, a major player coming to town with a lot of capital, a lot of partnerships. But Dave, I'm sure there's probably a segment of the fan base, uh, like most of us in the world, who are always a little bit worried about change. uh, Your initial reactions when you heard this?
0: Well, my initial reaction was that I I was kind of sour because these, these Fenway people came in and nosed out my group uh, that was looking to buy the penguins (laughs) They They came up with an offer that apparently was about $900,000 or $900 million (laughs) more than, than we were prepared to offer. But so, but once it got past that initial disappointment, uh, you know, it's hard to see much of a, a, a downside to, to this deal as, as it appears to be constructed, uh, for the penguins. And I, I think that might be evidenced most by the fact, uh, of the enthusiasm with which it has been received from inside the organization. Uh, keeping Mario Lemieux as a, as a minority partner is a, uh, a smart move on all levels. Uh, I mean, he gives instant credibility to, to the the Fenway group to, you know, any Penguins followers who were not familiar with uh, any of that, uh, Group's other holdings, uh, you know the uh, the teams with which uh, they are affiliated, like the Red Sox and uh, Liverpool, are perennial winners. Uh, I you know it, it it's hard to see much of a downside. The this group will probably have even. Uh, more resources that it can put into the Penguins operation than, than even Ron Burkle has, which is you know saying quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, it's still early there. There's still a lot to be learned about how things would be run under the uh, under the the guidance of the Fenway group. But, you know, the the initial reaction, I think it has to be pretty Pretty positive and pretty encouraging uh, for the franchise.
1: Yeah, just uh, for for our listeners here, we are recording this on Thursday. This is a, a very fluid story in the sense that when it's going to be finalized, obviously this still has to go through the NHL. I would assume they would rubber stamp it, uh, but the first step, of course, is is getting stuff uh, within the Fenway Group. Again, it's a massive it's a massive. Uh, 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 enterprise that they have and they're, they're adding partners. LeBron James is, is well-known Jerry Cardinal, who is one of, we're going to talk a little bit about him in the next segment and just some of the partnerships they have and the movers and the shakers that they have in this group. I echo Dave's sentiment hundred percent. I I think this is only a positive again. I think there's always going to be part of the fan base that's concerned uh, that, Oh, things are changing. What's, what's happening here. Uh, but I, I really think this is a good move. Uh, Dave, uh, back me up on this. You, you, you've covered this team for so long. You would know the, the timelines and the ins and outs a little bit better. I mean, this is, this has been an open secret, right? That at some point this was probably going to happen. It dates back for five, six years, right? That the, that there was uh, a possibility of something like this was going to exist.
0: Oh, uh, I think probably even longer than that was the, you know, the first talk of, uh, of Lemieux and Barkle be, being willing to sell, and and that, you know there have been a few uh, times in recent years when you heard that you know there there were talks going on, or or at least that the current owners were were more receptive to entertaining offers. So you know it, it's not a complete shock. Uh, I don't think uh, many of us had heard before this week that uh, you know there there was talk of of anything possibly happening you know on on such a short timeline but uh, you know the the fact that especially Burkle, you know would at least be receptive to the idea of of either getting out or moving into a reduced role uh, you know that's not a shock and I I think it's it's pretty clear and safe to assume that that Mario Lemieux a, a condition of any sale would have been for him to uh, remain you know in involved in ownership even if it's in you know in a scaled down capacity just I mean that that's good for the franchise it's good for the city and it you know I think it's it's good for Lemieux he, you know his involvement can only be a, a, a positive for for all concerned.
1: Uh, for, for 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 listeners that don't know a lot about uh, Fenway Sports Group, we're going to get in a little bit more into that in the second segment. But one thing that we want to point out here, uh, real quickly, uh, this is a group uh, that identifies, and even in their mission statement, they are they are out there looking for iconic franchises. In other words, they're not shopping around in the discount rack, uh, saying, "Hey, that Arizona car, that Arizona Coyotes situation, that's intriguing. I think we can turn that around." No, uh, you think about who they, they have in their portfolio, uh, the Boston Red Sox, one of the flagships teams in Major League Baseball, uh, Liverpool FC, uh, long time, one of the best teams in England, and they have returned them uh, to, to among the, the European elite uh, in, in the time that they've been there. So this is kind of, in some ways, a kind of a bit of an honor in the sense that they, this group, is coming to the Pittsburgh Penguins, recognizing what this franchise has done over the last fifteen, really back to since Lemieux got here. Right, uh, it's it's been a great run. And David, the other point I wanted to make, this is a time where I think in all of sports, ownership groups, especially in a, in a gate-driven league like the NHL, are struggling. I mean, this is. Uh, they don't have the huge contracts like the NBA and the NFL and major league baseball have uh, this, the timing of this is, I think, really good uh, for Pittsburgh hockey in
0: general. Um, I agree. And I mean, if, you know, if, if there was anything about, you know, this, this entire situation that I found surprising, it's that the the trajectory of the Penguins franchise you know, is headed down at this point, um, just because it was high for so long, you <laughs> right. know, and success in pro sports, especially those with salary caps, uh, tends to be pretty cyclical. You know, they, that's that's the point of a draft is that, you know, bad teams get the best players so that they can, you know, improve. Uh, you know, everything is designed to Make it so that uh, you know a handful of teams don't stay on top forever, and I, I you know, I think it does say a lot uh, about about the way this franchise is viewed outside of Pittsburgh that a group with the mission statement that that Fenway has would deem it uh, worthy of uh, pursuing at this point in time.
1: Yep, one hundred percent. All right, we're going to continue this after the break. Uh, stick with us. We're going to get a little bit more into who FSG is and kind of how they go about their business. And then please stick around for a third segment with the great Scott Burnside. Uh, He'll he'll lend his perspective in this. And we'll talk about some things actually on the ice. Uh, Stick with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast. podcast and continuing our discussion over the, the big news uh, this past week in Pittsburgh, uh, the potential sale of the Penguins to the Fenway sports group uh, with Mary Lemieux uh, retaining a uh, minority owner status. Uh, again, we were recording on Thursday. By the time you listen to this, uh, there may be many more details that have come out, but we're just operating on what we know right now. Uh, Dave, uh, I talked to some people this week uh, around the sports world who really follow uh, the, the comings, the, the doings of the Fenway Sports Group. This is, of course, run by uh, John W. Henry. Uh, he's he's at the top of the top of the masthead, as they say. Uh, but there's a lot. There's there are, there are many more partners in this group. As we mentioned, they're, their 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 they're two main most visible properties are the Red Sox. And the uh, Liverpool FC in the English Premier League, uh, and I, I was what I was interested to find out if, if there were some characteristics or some commonality in how they approach the business. And we, we spoke to people on both sides of the Atlantic who cover the team. We talked to some people in the business end, and there were a few things uh, that 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 were repeatedly mentioned. And I think it's really interesting right off the bat we, we we keep saying that Mary Lemieux will stay in place with this team as part owner. Because one of the one of the things that I think has made this group successful is they have been very good at identifying people that need to be in leadership positions and putting them there. If you think of when the Red Sox, when 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 John Henry and his group bought the Red Sox, they went out and <laughs> surprised some people and went out and got Theo Epstein who nobody knew who Theo Epstein was at the time, 28 year old boy wonder. And boy, did that turn the franchise around? They bring in uh, a a veteran manager in um, uh, Terry Francona. Uh, The same thing happens over in Liverpool where Mike Gordon goes out and finds Michael Edwards to kind of run the show there behind the scenes. They go out and hire One manager, Brendan Rodgers, who gets them close, but then goes out and get one of the best managers in the world, Jurgen Klopp. And again, they get the right people in place. So it does not surprise me at all that this group has said, I don't think we can improve right now. We need Mario in there because he, as you mentioned in the first segment, gives us that instant credibility and it gives you a hockey mind as they come in and are are still not, not quite sure what they have here in hockey. This is a new venture for them, but this, this looks to be a consistent pattern with this group.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, before we get into that, I would encourage anyone who is listening and has not read Tom's story on this to immediately hit the pause button and go to the website and read that story. It, but come back, it, it, folks. Come back well folks. yeah you are allowed to come back then but uh it will give you so much insight onto what how the how the Fenway group ha- has operated and what can reasonably be expected to be done uh with the penguins that i mean it is worth many times over the, the time that you will invest in reading the story. It it was just an outstanding piece of work by Tom. And yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, having Lemieux stay, I, which I, I'm sure he wanted to do regardless, Sure, but that's just, you know, such a, a smart move uh, by Fenway to, to want to keep him around because, you know, there never has been and never will be a bigger hockey name in Pittsburgh than Mario Lemieux. Um, you know, on top of everything else, he's obviously very familiar with with how the organization has been run for, for the past 20 plus years, since he's been one of the owners and, you know, observing it on pretty much of a a daily basis, even if he hasn't been a particularly hands-on owner. Um, yeah. If, you know, if that uh, goes down in history as the first official move in Pittsburgh by the Fenway Sports Group, it's going to be hard for them to top that with their second move.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, a couple of other things. This uh, group is and we alluded to this uh, briefly in the, our first uh, segment. They are very keen in building partnerships throughout sports. Uh uh, uh, Jerry Cardinal is not a name that you'll you probably ever need to know. Uh, and and his Red Tail Capital partnership partners is not probably anything you really, fans will need to know. They're more worried about getting the power play going again. But this is a guy uh, who has connections all over the sports business world. And Fenway's been very good at adding these type of people. And where this becomes, I think, important – as Dave mentioned, and we always allude to that, a downtime is coming. It's just a natural process in sports. And uh, when the product's not great on the ice, that usually means there won't be quite as many fans. And in a market like Pittsburgh, we have a history here. We knowing it, sometimes we get a little bit worried here about the franchise stability. Uh, Dave, we've lived it with, with possible bankruptcies, possible moving. I think this group uh, of course, there there are mechanisms in place that's going to keep the team here for the foreseeable future. But you want a very uh, you want a very strong uh, ownership group that has money that can bring partnerships in uh, that can help you help this team through the rough times. and it's I think it's a very important part, uh, a component of this. Uh, uh, another thing, and I wanted to this is this is something that it, that I think is very interesting. This is a group that is really, really high on analytics. Uh, they the, the, one of one of Henry's first moves uh, when he he was a boyhood baseball, loved baseball, was Stan Musial fan. When he buys the Red Sox, he's he's already analytically driven. That's how he makes his money. Uh, algorithms. Uh, he made his money on betting on the future as a hedge fund manager. Uh, brings in Bill James there. Liverpool, same way. Liverpool is, is one of the most analytically driven teams in Europe. Dave, where this becomes, I think, interesting, and Scott's going to allude to this when we talk to him in the next segment. Older players, even star players at times at Liverpool, they have allowed them to go because they think that it's sometimes time to move on. There's a couple of players on this team right now that are in their mid-30s and are, will be out of contract at the end of the year. And I'm very, very interested to see how they work the analytical side of this maybe and maybe the common sense approach of these guys and Chris Latang and Malkin are stone-cold locks, locks to be immortal here in Pittsburgh. We need to keep them. Or does Fenway come in and say – Look, it might be time to, to, to rethink this a little bit.
0: Uh, well, and, you know, before we go any farther, perhaps in a future segment, we could in, explore the idea of whether Redtail Capital has anybody who might be able to help on the power play. Uh, <laughs> uh, but until then, I mean, I, you know, we we don't know how Fenway would approach you know, uh, keeping veterans around. I, I think that Lemieux has made it clear. Certainly. I, I don't think there's any question that Sidney Crosby will finish his career oh. in Pittsburgh. I think that's a given, right? I think Lemieux has made it pretty clear that he would like Malkin to do the same. And I think Malkin has expressed a similar sentiment as has, uh, Chris Letang, um, you know, with, with new ownership, though you know, those uh, decisions might be made elsewhere, but I would think that for the time being, at least, you know, things tilt in favor of the Penguins trying to uh, retain Malkin and and Letang, uh, you know, whether those guys would be able to return at, at what uh, management would see as an acceptable price, you know, remains to be seen. and And that's a decision for a bit farther down the road. Um, but you know, it, uh, that is one of, uh, many aspects of this that, uh, will be worth keeping an eye on in, in coming days and weeks.
1: Uh, obviously we, we, we've, we've talked about Mary Lemieux a lot here. Uh, I think, I, I don't know if there is a sports figure and not just a player, but a sports figure that has meant more to a franchise uh, the Mary Lemieux has to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but um, a, a guy that Dave wrote about did a really nice. I hope you read the piece in the in the our Friday Insider section. Ron Burkle, who is <laughs> who is very much been uh, behind the scenes, doesn't want any credit uh, for what he's done, but has certainly played his role in three Stanley Cups here. Uh, Dave, uh, for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet, uh, give us a little bit of a, kind of kind of an appreciation. Uh, is kind of what you wrote about Burkle. And I, I know you've interviewed him in the past at length. Uh, tell fans who may not know as much about Ron Burkle uh, a little bit
0: more about him. Well, if you don't know much about Ron Burkle, you're certainly in the majority. Um, <laughs> he's extremely wealthy, he's a billionaire, um, I believe several times over at Last Report. Uh, But he's as intensely private as he is wealthy. Uh, Lemieux brought him in uh, to the ownership group after he got uh, ownership of the team through, through bankruptcy in 1999. And while Lemieux gives the franchise credibility, Ron Burkle, more than anyone else, any other partner by far, gave it the financial wherewithal to run itself as a first class operation to spend to the salary cap ceiling every year and and to put money into scouting and player development which is so important for a team that has habitually traded away early round draft choices to try to fortify its uh roster for a playoff run in any, in any given uh, spring. And that, that has you know, made it possible to develop uh, first class training facilities and, and to do th- everything in a first class manner so that you know when, when you're trying to attract free agents or make guys accept you know, happily trades to your team, you know, they know that they're coming to an organization that does things right when they come to to Pittsburgh. And that's all because of uh, the financial strength that that Ron Burkle brought to this team. I, I think it's, it's not only safe to say that there wouldn't have been the past uh, three Stanley Cup banners in uh, PPG Paints Arena without him, but there might well not have still been a... Uh, a Penguins franchise in Pittsburgh without Ron Burkle.
1: Yeah, and it's good. And, and DK mentioned this in his column the other day. It's good that these guys, both of these guys, not only get the recognition they deserve, but the money they deserve. They put so much into this franchise. Uh, as, as we said, DK is reporting that the is about $900 million. That sounds about right. I know Sportico had uh, their valuation was $800 and. 850, 875, 840, somewhere in that, what the value is. And in talking with some people there said that that might have even been conservative. So uh, it, it sounds like that's the right area. Just to give uh, our our listeners an idea, the, uh, the valuation of Fenway of Sports is $7.35 billion. So they've got their money. Granted, one of the things that sometimes fans in all of these markets where they have teams are concerned is, do they get spread too thin as they continue to add to their portfolio? We'll see. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. And Dave, one of the the, the cool things, and we'll, we'll wind it up with this question is, uh, you know, a John Henry and his group with, with baseball, there's no salary cap, there's a luxury tax, but still you got to spend an awful lot of money. Uh, They've had to sink money into an old but a wonderful ballpark in Fenway Park. The same situation in Liverpool where Anfield, they've rebuilt the main stand uh, instead of building a new uh, facility. Uh, The the money spent over there is astronomical on transfer fees. Uh, They are going against sheiks and Russian oligarchs. Uh, to try to find the best players in the world. They, in, in Pittsburgh, they're coming into a situation where they don't have to do that. Uh, they don't have to spend that. There is a salary cap. It's a, they have a beautiful arena, a beautiful practice facility. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of improvements they make and how they try to fortify this, uh, this franchise uh, with the money that they've spent
0: yeah tom and for the record i'd just like to note that if if the asking price had actually been 845 million my group would have still been in the mix but <laughs> we we just didn't want to go above that you don't you know you don't go to nine you don't you don't when it comes close to one billion you you stay out of that yeah they there you know they, you just you just have to set a budget and stick to it uh <laughs> uh no i mean you're right there you know the, the place where where i think you know they if if there's anything that they would invest even more heavily than the current ownership in i would expect it to be scouting and player development yes. just because yes. you know the the penguins i think have done a really good job in, in both areas under the current ownership but you're you know you're going to be replacing some, some hall of fame talents here over the next few years and you're probably not going to do it by getting the next Sidney Crosby or Mario Lemieux or Yaramir Yager or Evgeny Malkin, you're going to have to do it, you know, through, through more conventional yes. means, you know, believe it or not, Pittsburgh, you, you don't get a once in a lifetime player every 10 years. <laughs> uh, 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 so I, yeah, I, perhaps there's more money that, that could go into scouting and player development, but, but the facilities that, that, exist are you know certainly well above average you know by nhl standards um there's no need to invest heavily in those i i don't think anytime soon uh it'd be interesting if they would decide they wanted to rebuild the civic arena so they could have a uh <laughs> you know a classic uh venue like Anfield or Fenway Park but I'm really not going to count on that
1: I hope all the smoke would come back in when I'm when I <laughs> started going over there in the 80s as a as a hockey fan I could just remember that just it was like an old boxing venue in the 1940s of Madison Square Garden you look up at the scoreboard and all you could see was smoke uh it's glorious actually all right <laughs> <laughs> when we come back we will be joined by Scott Burnside we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, pending sale of the, of, of the Penguins and also get some other thoughts on stuff that's actually going on in the ice in Pittsburgh and around the league. Stick with us here on the 66 to 87 Podcast. and as promised. Uh, We're now joined by uh, the great Scott Burnside. You can read his material, you can hear his voice on dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, one of the great national guys that cover the league out
2: there. Scott, how you doing today? I'm doing very well <clears throat> and, uh, and thanks for having me aboard. And whenever I come on with you guys, I, I'm always I am reminded of my one of my favorite road trips was during a Pittsburgh Columbus, Playoff series, and I made the trip back and forth uh, between Pittsburgh and Columbus. I'd never done it before, but I swear there were there were like 200 dead deer. It, yeah, like, that's true. This is that's what I remember of that road trip. They must yes. have been out of
0: season because there's usually more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that's what that's what that's what appealed to me about the job of taking the job in Pittsburgh while living in Columbus is uh, just dodging the deer. I'll uh, let. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that introduction I'll let Dave get started with some questions uh,
0: Scotty obviously uh, the, the big news in Pittsburgh this week was the uh, possible sale of the franchise to the Fenway Sports group um, most of the folks listening to the podcast probably are aware of the reaction around here but what uh, kind of reaction was there ar- around the country and around the league uh, you know if any to the to that news?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it, I mean, it's always big news in the NHL. I think when you have a, um, when there's any kind of ownership shift, because, you know, you want to know what, what's the backdrop to it. Does it speak to instability or, or any of those kinds of things? And I think for me, uh, a, I don't think I was all that surprised. I think it's been, you know, well-documented that um, Ron Burkle and Mary Lemieux have, you know, have tested the, the, the waters in terms of selling the franchise in Pittsburgh um i think going back to say 2 2015 somewhere in that neighborhood so i don't know that it was all that surprising and this is certainly the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of you know is this a troubled sale or a franchise you know that uh, you know has has internal issues uh, you know uh, every team and every pro team every person you know has suffered through the the COVID-19 pandemic the the penguins are no different in that respect but this strikes me as just is this the right time and and In terms of the Fenway Sports Group, uh, um, obviously big time, huge dollars, lots of different interests in terms of their portfolio, racing, and of course the Red Sox. And you know, it doesn't surprise me that they would be interested in one of the top tier NHL franchises. Uh, They don't come on the market very often, and uh, and and so that's you know, there's to me, there's no. This is the kind of discussion that is absent of, of red flags really. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, it sounds like it's pretty far down the road and it'll be interesting to see if it does happen, what, you know, what kind of changes it might mean for a franchise that has, you know, in many ways been the, you know, the standard bearer since the 0405 lockout in terms of, you know, how to rebuild your brand and how to create uh, a successful pro sports franchise.
0: Now, I realize that a young man like you is probably familiar with Mario Lemieux's playing career only through grainy black and white, you know, (laughs) video footage. Uh, But he did play a bit before he moved into ownership and now apparently will at least be retaining a a minority interest in in the Penguins. What, uh, from an outside perspective, what do you make of, of just his career on ice and front office in Pittsburgh. And, and what do you think he he's meant to this region?
2: Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, <laughs> I, I am not that young. Uh, and in fact, I covered Mario's return after he'd retired because uh, the effects of the back injury and cancer. And I was in Pittsburgh at, uh, at the old igloo the night he came, you know, they, they, took his rafters his, the banner down from the rafters and he came out and he single-handedly decimated the Toronto Maple Leafs and it's still one of my favorite you know sort of regular season moments uh covering the game and 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 I, I told the story on I do a podcast with Mike McKenna and I told the story about how it, during the 08 playoffs it, I had been among a group covering the the playoffs and spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh and Mario was nowhere to be seen didn't make himself available I remember writing a rather scathing piece for uh, ESPN.com for whom I was employed at the time and um, you know that basically I took a dim view of the fact that he he wouldn't take the time to come out and chat with us. but of course I The the following spring, he came out and uh, was very gracious with his time. And he has always been, you know, whenever we cross paths, he's always very cordial with me. And I appreciate that in spite of the fact that, uh, you know, I took a couple of shots at him. But I I don't know that there's a way to quantify how important he has been to, to the franchise on and off the ice you know it's trite to say that he saved it more than once but it's the reality and i think if you look around the world of pro sports i'm not sure there's a single owner who's had the kind of impact on his or her franchise that Mary lemieux has had on that franchise in the city of pittsburgh and that's uh and and it, you know i'm sure fans are wondering you know what will happen if the Fenway Group takes over, to me the the first thing that if you're part of that uh, Fenway Group, the first thing you have to assure is that Mario Lemieux wants to be involved because they, I think it's critical that he has a hand in the game, that he has a hand in what goes on with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So um, it, it will that part of it will be interesting because it will be different, obviously, but you know much you know bigger. I don't know whether tableau is the right word, but you know, Fenway Group's going to be different than working with Ron Burkle has been the case for the last whatever, however many years it's been since the two of them have, you know, purchased the team. But uh, to me, it's critical that he remains involved and ha- and has a strong voice. And my expectation is that that will be the case.
0: Oh, well, with the, with the way things have gone on the ice here in the past <laughs> few weeks, uh, the Penguins probably wish that Lemieux would be plotting another comeback. Um, but, you know, uh, Sidney Crosby finally played consecutive games for the first time this season earlier this week. Evgeny Malkin looks like he's getting relatively close to returning. Um, do you think this Penguins team is is capable of climbing back into playoff contention?
2: Yeah, it, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> but I, I sort of, I'm not... Like I'm not fully on board. I I think the Metro is, you know, it's such a competitive division, you know, as we know now, the Penguins are at the very bottom of it. So to get back into, you know, let's assume, I think it's, I think it's likely, but not a guarantee that there'll be five playoff teams from the Metro, but that's still a lot of ground to make up um, for the Penguins. Uh, You talk about the, you know, the, the injuries and, and missing, you know, Crosby until recently and still no Malkin and the uh, Tang out early. And there's a lot of things going on. And I, and to me, this is the interesting part of if this ownership sale or transfer goes through in a timely fashion, um, you know, does it create the natural break to make what would be very difficult decisions about key players like Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin, both of whom are of course in contract years. And um, you know, does, does this kind of um, change at the very top lead to very significant changes in terms of the hockey roster? And, and maybe you can't draw a line from A to B, but I think it will be interesting, um, you know, what those discussions are like um, if the Penguins continue to be outside the playoff bubble, you know, something that hasn't happened uh, since Sidney Crosby's rookie year. So I, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you make of it, Davey? I mean, you, you're there every day. I, like, do you think this team could get back in it? I, there's they're not, you know, it's still, it's early, but it's getting late quick.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think they certainly will be capable of, of getting back into contention if they can get their core guys healthy and keep them that way. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not so much a, a question of how many points out of the top eight spots you get, but how many teams you have to hurdle to get there. With uh, you know there being the possibility of of three points in every game that's contested, you know it's not easy to make up ground. Yeah, and uh, you know if you have to pass multiple teams, that just compounds the challenge. So yes, I, I I think they could. Um, they certainly could. There you know there there is time to do that, but uh, it it's not going to be quick or easy. I don't think.
2: Man, it's—I mean—it's hard to imagine. I remember back in again showing my own age here. I remember going to St. Louis. Oh my gosh, it was uh, so early. Might have been the first year after the lockout, so it might have been 05, 06, <clears throat> when their long, long playoff um, string came to an end. And you know, doing a story about what you know, what it—you know—sort of the end of the line, a changing. You know, just it—it it really is. It's—it's it's such an impressive body of work for this penguins organization you know as i mentioned after sydney crosby's rookie year i mean to be there you know consistently every spring and to not miss and to be in the playoffs and you know to, to the to, it's kind of sobering to imagine that that might be coming to an end and if it does come to an end what are the ramifications for the core of that team
1: dave and i you know uh, scott dave and i talk about this regularly uh, we've both written about it for me, it reminds me so much of the Red Wings in the middle of the last decade, yeah. uh, as Zetterberg and Datsuk are getting older. Uh, they're still keep making the playoffs, but they're no longer making runs. But the, but but just because you have such Hall of Fame caliber players, the organization feels compelled to keep them together, right, and ride it to the very end. And uh, you know, it's been a long climb back for Detroit, although. They're starting to look like they're putting the pieces together, but uh, that to me is, is is the parallel that I see uh, with these penguins.
2: Yeah, no, Tom, I think that's absolutely true, and I think it. You know, you have to. You know, Pittsburgh's a sophisticated hockey market, right? Like they, they get it, and you're and you're never going to keep everyone happy. Like if you if you decide, you know, when depending on whatever the contract talks go like, but if you if you feel you can't commit the dollar in term that a Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin might be looking for at this stage of their career and have to move on. I mean, there will be people who will be upset. There will be people who feel you've made a horrific decision. And if you do that, you are likely signaling a change in terms of, well, we're not that team anymore. And so maybe we're going to miss the playoffs like the Red Wings, as you have pointed out. I and mean, when we saw the LA Kings, we certainly seen the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, follow a similar path. It's it's the cycle of life, right, in the NHL. And, and the Penguins have defied it for a long time. But maybe that's where we're at. Now, the other thing, of course, you know, maybe they... You know, Malkin comes back, they get on a tear. I thought they were the better team in the first round against the Islanders last year and their goaltending <laughs> let them down. But if they win that series, are they, you know, are they a team that goes to an East final against Tampa and, and, we're, and we view them completely differently? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, let's stick you around the league a little bit. Uh, you know, we're closing in on American Thanksgiving. Uh, what has been, what team has most intrigued you through the first six, seven weeks of the season?
2: Ooh, that's good. There, there are lots of, I, I think it's been fun. And I, I watch, you know, I watch a lot and um, I, there's been so much, there's been lots of really good hockey. And so it's, and it's been fun for me to see a team like Buffalo get a little bit up off the mat. So, you know, really happy for Don Granado there. Um, I know it came at the expense of the Penguins the other night, but um, you know, for me, I, I think there, are, and I provide some content for the Carolina hurricane. So I, I spent some time in Raleigh. I, I'm curious about, the Hurricanes right now, as, as we're chatting, they're the top team in the NHL uh, in terms of points percentage or winning percentage. Um, you know, are they are they that good? And the and the other team in the East that I'm wondering the same kind of thing about is the Florida Panthers. And of course, the, you know, tumultuous time there with Joel Quenville being forced to resign, as he should have been given his role in the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal. Um Andrew Burnett coming in and, you know, being put in a in a, a very difficult situation as the interim head coach. But uh, that team is so talented. And, Tom, as you know from your time in Columbus, but, you know, Billy Zito, I think, has done a great job as a GM yeah, there. absolutely. That team is deep. They are built. And I think, really, their playoff series against Tampa, you know, I think that has the potential to be a catalyst to a long, long playoff run in the spring. Like, I think they learned a big lesson in uh, in their six game set uh, first round series loss to Tampa, but I like that team a lot. Um, and in the West, I, I you know I'm so happy for. Uh, you know, the Anaheim Ducks and, uh, and again, a team that has gone through a lot recently with Bob Murray stepping down and going into an alcohol treatment center and, uh, you know, an investigation into his behavior and handling of staff there for a long time in Anaheim. Uh, but I think Dallas Aikens has done a great job um, behind the bench there and that team, you know, Troy Terry's tearing it up. And uh, they're, they're a team that in the Pacific, you um, I didn't see them sitting in first place in the Pacific. Nobody um, did. Yeah. So it, it, they're fun to watch. And, and, and that's a franchise that, you know, they've been in a, you know, it's been, a, I covered a Western conference final there in 2015 and and they lost to Chicago in seven games and boy, they were so close, but it's been a, it's been a tough run for them the last five or six years. And, and so good for them to, you know, to, to, to be, um, you know, rewarding the fans who've hung around the, the Honda center during some lean years.
1: Yeah. All right. So we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, Gary Bettman is closing in on his 29th year as commissioner of the NHL. And I don't have to tell you about what some of the headlines have been uh, in the past months here. Uh, if you had to give him a grade uh, for his job performance in the last couple of years, you know, which one would you assign to him his work
2: right now? So I'm glad you saved the uh, easiest one for the end so that's good <laughs> That's a good uh you know what I here, uh, you know here's the thing it, I, I think it's been a, it it has been. It has been a very disappointing time for the NHL as a whole in terms of the leadership, and I go back to the very beginning of the investigation into the Chicago Blackhawks and how it was treated by the league when the investigation was announced and the lawsuits, beat, you know, were made public. Uh, I, I thought the league mishandled it from the get-go. I thought they showed a stunning lack of empathy. Right at the outset, I think they have. I think they have been very slow on really important you know moments. Whether it's Black Lives Matter, um, the whole concussion thing remains a mystery to me. Why the league has chosen um, to, to drag their feet on certain elements of uh, acknowledging the issue of concussions and the long-term health uh, uh, health issues there, um, and 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 certainly recently uh, they have been full value. Uh, for for all of the criticism they've received, I think I, it's been it has been a PR nightmare, and in in every instance, just about, um, you, you know, you think of what's the well, what's, how, how would you how could this be handled worse? And I'm not sure there are a lot of instances over the last few months where the league hasn't absolutely stepped in it. So um, I don't know what the appropriate grade would be, but I think there has to. And I thought, you know. I'll hedge my bets here a little bit, but, and I thought Gary Bettman's comments at the hall of fame in Toronto earlier this week, where he I felt he was acknowledging that the league had not done what they needed to do, had not sent the right message and had not responded in the way that they should have. Now, you know, that's not, you know, Gary is never going to come out and say, yes, we really fouled that out. But I thought there was a step toward that. I, I think the hotline, the anonymous hotline, which was set up a few years ago and has taken some time, I think, to gain some traction, my understanding that was pivotal to what happened in Anaheim. Um, so, you know, I think there are things. But, yeah, no, it's been it's been pretty ugly. And, and I, I, I will be curious to see, you know, if there – you know, how, how the league responds moving forward, you know, whether they can dig themselves out from underneath or, or whether this, you know, at some point, does this, do do these moments hasten Gary Bettman's departure? Because right now that's, that's a, a very difficult part of his legacy right now, because it, you know, the league has not handled um, any of this in a way that, you know, that we would, I think a lot of us would have hoped they might've responded. I hope that makes sense.
1: No, it absolutely does. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on uh, for, for, for people out there. Obviously, I, I'm sure a lot of you, you're 117,000 followers. But if you're not, it's Scott Burnside on Twitter at Overtime Scott B. Uh, part of the, you know, he's got, if you check out his first, Everyone Loves Podcast, first thing up there right now, he's got the, his latest on the, the daily face-off show with Frank Sirvali and Mike McKenna a uh, great listen as always Scott we really appreciate you coming and spending some time this uh this week with us
2: yeah anytime guys
1: all right that is Scott Burnside uh and for uh Dave Molinari uh, this is Tom Reed uh, we'll talk to you again next week on the 66 to 87 podcast